Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you that you uh, have given us your Holy Spirit to, uh, to understand it, to know it, to live it. We pray that you would pour out your spirit for that purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. So we are nearing the midway point in our Lenten sermon series called Living Lent, where we are exploring different aspects of the Christian faith that are common to all of us. So far, we've looked at how to escape temptation. And then last week, we learned how to set our minds on things of God. Ultimately, our goal is to live confidently with and for Jesus. Lent, it's a season of preparation for Easter, and it's appropriate for us to ask the question, what kind of person are we becoming? What kind of person are you becoming? And this week's theme in our series is becoming zealous for God. It comes from the disciples' observation that Jesus was zealous for God's house, the temple. And after he clears it and cleanses it, they remember the verse from Psalm 69 that David spoke about himself, but now is applied uh, applied to Jesus, that zeal for your house will consume me. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't remember the last time I used the word zeal in a sentence. At least before this week. Well, I do. It was just a few minutes ago in the other service. Um, But before that, when was the last time you used the word zeal? It's not a word that just rolls off your tongue, does it? You know, Jill and David, they're such foodies, always zealous for those bougie meals. You know, pate, poke, noke. Did I say those right? I think I said pate right. Or that Trevor Spencer, he has a lot of zeal for Carolina football. It's misplaced zeal, but it's zeal nonetheless. Usually, uh, yeah, well, you know, usually the word zeal has this sort of negative connotation, right? Uh, It's often viewed as unwarranted, misplaced, or even over the top. And this reminds me of a story about a zealous pastor who is gifted in prayer, healing prayer ministry. And many people would come to him to be prayed for. And at one service, he made an invitation that anyone with special needs who needs to be prayed for, please come to the front. So a guy named John got in line. And when he got to the front, the pastor said, well, John, uh, what do you want me to pray for you? John replied, pastor, I need you to pray for help with my hearing. So at once the pastor put one hand on John's ear and another hand on John's head. And then he prayed and he prayed and the whole congregation joined him with much enthusiasm. And after a few minutes, the pastor removed his hands, stood back and asked, John, how is your hearing? And John answered, I don't know. My hearing is actually next Thursday in the magistrate's court. (laughs) Just to show you that. Even a gifted minister can be overzealous at times. So broadly speaking, I think this is true. We either aren't really sure what zeal is, and we're not particularly interested in having it. Both culturally 
and in the church, in our Christian circle specifically, even here in South Carolina, where we we like to fancy ourselves uh, part of a Christian society, that we're still a Christian society, we face serious headwinds about being truly zealous for Jesus. Perhaps you've heard or maybe even you said or thought, you know, it's okay for me to go to church or it's okay for you to go to church, but it's not okay for you to take your faith so seriously that it significantly alters the way you live your life. You wouldn't want to be overzealous, would you? Or think about those no-no topics when you're at a social event, right? I mean, I know that none of us have been to a serious social event in a long time, but you right, you remember the rules, When you're at a party, it's not polite to bring up what? Religion or politics, right? you got to steer clear of these things. But friends, if we're going to be serious about being disciples of Jesus, and the point for us of following Jesus is to become like Jesus, and Jesus is zealous, that must mean that you and I are meant to be full of zeal as well. We are to become people who are zealous for God. What then does that mean? There's a church planner named Dave Harvey who wrote this. Zeal is desire on steroids. Zeal is a deep desire that defines how we live and it reveals what we love. Isn't that a great line? Zeal is desire on steroids. Zeal is a desire so great that you absolutely have to have it. Now, when I was in middle school many years ago, there was a piece of clothing that I absolutely had to have. Now, perhaps you, when you were back in school, you had something, maybe it was, you know, depending on how old you are, maybe you had to have that designer poodle skirt, right? Um, or some of you might have had that velvet leisure suit. I'd like to see some of the pictures of that. Um, Trey, Trey, why don't you send us a picture when you're done, all right? Uh, he's back there. Uh, when I was in middle school, the had-to-have piece of clothing was a Coca-Cola rugby shirt. Do you remember this? It's the most ridiculous thing ever. Every single person had one, it seemed like. And my desire for this shirt was over, you know, above the charts. It was off the charts. And looking back... Now, my desire revealed what I loved. And what I loved was having a status symbol, right? What I loved is wanting to be like all the cool kids who were a walking advertisement for a major soda company, right? And I wanted to spend $40 or something in 1980s money for this shirt. And it defined how I lived. This desire defined how I lived, which was mostly... Begging and pleading with my mom until she just simply relented and bought me the shirt, right? That's what desire on steroids is like. So in the same way, Jesus' zeal, it reveals what he loves and it defined how he lived. So what is it that Jesus loves? Well, our text this morning says that he had so much zeal for God's house 
that when he arrived in the temple in Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover, and he found that people were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers had set up tables and were changing money, that he was so upset by this that he created this whip of cords and he drove them all out of the temple courts. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. His zeal for God's house wasn't simply about the building. Like somehow he came in and he goes, my goodness, y'all have made a real mess of this place. You have cluttered it up, right? And those pigeons, they are pooping everywhere. No, what his zeal was about, his zeal was about what was supposed to be taking place in the temple. The temple was where God's presence, it dwelled. And it was the place where God's people were meant to come and interact with God himself. At the beginning of the passage, we learned that Jesus, he's in Jerusalem for the Passover because the Jewish law required that every Jewish man make an annual pilgrimage to the temple to remember God's mighty act in rescuing Israel. The first Passover. They were to remember that he rescued Israel, God's people, from slavery in Egypt. Basically, they were there to interact with God and to remember that God wants to save people, that God rescues people. And each year they would come and they would make a sacrifice for their sin. They would receive pronouncement of forgiveness and they would be restored to God. It was much more than any sense of spiritual tourism. In the temple, God was actually fulfilling his desire to rescue the people from their sin and to restore them to right relationship with him. That was the intent of the temple. It sounds a little bit familiar, right? The most quoted verse in all of scripture For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but everlasting life. Up until this point, God had given the temple to maintain the relationship with humanity. And now Jesus has come to do it himself. So when Jesus zealously drives out the corruption, he's doing it because he too loves humanity. He loves those his father loves. And he wants us to be restored to God. And the temple, God's temple, his dwelling place had become corrupted. And so Jesus' zeal reveals what he loves. And he loves people. He loves us. Second, Jesus' zeal His passion for humanity, his desire for us, it defines how he lives, doesn't it? After seeing all of this take place, the disciples remembered that the verse, zeal for your father's house will consume me, that it was was a characteristic of the coming Messiah, of the Savior. So I want you to notice a couple things about this line, that zeal, it consumes Jesus. He's not just interested in it. He's just not reading about it on a, you know, when he's got a few minutes. No, the Greek word translated consume is more like devours than anything else. 
He's devoured by the desire to cleanse the temple so that worshipers may generally interact with his father and to be restored to him. His anger, his energy, they're justified because the money changers and the vendors, what they're doing is preventing people from truly encountering the eternal, loving, forgiving father. This purpose has consumed Jesus. And zeal, second, it leads him to take risks. Zeal for God, for you and me, will also lead us all to take risks. See, if the Jewish leadership uh, wasn't aware of who Jesus was before this day, he was cert- they were certainly aware after this day, right? I mean, he's come into their kind of workplace, right? And he's all of a sudden made a big ruckus, and he's changed the whole way things are being done. And these leaders, they're the ones who are going to later accuse him, later arrest him, and they're going to be the ones who have Jesus crucified. See, Jesus' zeal, it defines how he lives and acts. He's willing to risk his life for the Jewish people. He's willing to risk his life for the Gentile people. And he's willing to risk his life for you as well. He loves the world, all of us, that much. And he's willing to risk it all. But he's not simply willing to risk his, risk his life. He's actually planning on it. He's planning on giving his life up. There in verse 18, the Jews have watched this and they ask, well, show us a sign to prove that you have the right to do all this. And Jesus' response, it reveals his ultimate plan, right? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews, they were incredulous. It had taken 46 years to build the temple. But the disciples, they didn't realize later that Jesus was talking about his body. He would die on the cross, right? Destroy the temple of his body. He would die on the cross. He would be buried in the grave for three days, right? In the tomb. And then he would rise again. Jesus was not only willing to give his life, he was planning to give his life for those he loves. His zeal reveals what he loves and defines how he lives. But there is more to this story, more to this idea that points to a much bigger picture at work. Jesus isn't just telling uh, us to go to church or to take church seriously, though I think that is an important thing for all of us. He's not just telling us to get our sacrifices right, just to do better right, uh, but that's also something that we do, or to simply do more. Or if by chance you're sitting there, you know, maybe you're back there transacting some business today, he's not just saying, hey, stop that right now, it's Sunday morning. No, what Jesus is doing in the big picture is replacing all of the old ways. See, Jesus is the new temple. The temple building in the Old Testament was where God dwelled. And now Jesus, God's son, has come to live among us human beings. And he is now the place where God dwells. He is God. And so if you want to encounter God, you no longer have to go all the way over to Israel to the temple. You just have to go straight to Jesus. See, all of a sudden, the whole thing, the old ways are being replaced. 
Not only that, but Jesus, he's the perfect Passover lamb. He's going to replace all of those animals being sold for sacrifice in the passage. You see, the the marketplace didn't just happen overnight. It was actually started probably with some pretty well-intentioned priests going, hey, you know what? These people have to come 70 miles from Capernaum. What if they don't have to drag their oxen or whatever they're going to sacrifice, right? What if we can sell them a pigeon here or an ox or a sheep or a lamb or whatever they need so that they don't have to travel all that way? You could see how it would be well-intentioned. But Jesus, what he's doing is not just going, okay, you got it wrong. Let's go back and get it right. No, he's saying, I'm replacing that. See, Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. He will offer himself once and for all. See, that changes everything. Because you and I, we don't have to bring something with us. Right? We didn't have to make sure that we had a perfect morning before leaving the house. It doesn't have to wear your Coca-Cola rugby shirt, your best Coca-Cola rugby shirt or whatever. No, we don't have to bring anything because Jesus himself provides the sacrifice. And finally, his sacrifice is once and for all. While his temple will be destroyed, he will be put in the tomb. He's going to rise again. No longer will the Jewish people have to come back year after year, offer sacrifice year after year, time after time to be redeemed from their sin. Jesus has done it once and for all. See, Jesus, he's replacing the old ways. The new temple of God is Jesus. So what about us? What kind of person are you becoming so far in your Christian life? What kind of person are you becoming so far in this season of Lent? How do you become more zealous for God? Well, first, you recognize that he's leading you to give up the old ways as well. The ones that are dead or dying. If you ask the question, what am I zealous for? You may find that there are things other than God and realize that one past, what one pastor wrote, which was this, true zeal for God is kind. It kind of melts in your mouth. It goes down easy. Why is that? Because God loves us, right? Because we know that. But true zeal may have to drive the money changers from your temple every now and then. Some of your old ways may be sticking around. And if you're going to live the life he's calling you to, you may need to have a few tables turned over. And you might want to ask the Lord, what, uh, ask him to reveal what are the things that you love that aren't him? What are the things that you absolutely love that aren't Jesus? And ask him to turn those tables over. It might be ongoing sin. It might be unforgiveness. It might be stubbornness or disobedience. Ask him to help help you make him your first love. Second thing is to let zeal for God change how you live. As disciples, you and I are to share Jesus' passions. Let Jesus' zeal and purpose be your burning desire to help other people meet and worship God. 
Bishop J.C. Ryle once said, zeal is a burning desire to please God, to do his will, and to advance his glory in the world in every possible way. How can you advance his glory in the world? Well, you could invite someone to church. You could change your schedule or your family's schedule so that you can make time to serve other people sacrificially. You might be called to give up that expensive toy and put more of your money, which is really God's money, to work in his kingdom. Let your zeal change how you live. Finally, let God change who you are. You have the opportunity by putting your faith in Jesus to actually become the temple of God as well. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. See, Jesus is changing all of the old ways. Not only is it that it's not no longer a building, it's not a bunch of little sacrifices, it's Jesus. But he's also, for those of us who believe, he makes us his temple. That's an incredible truth. Every single person who's ever believed in Jesus, every single Christian ever, if you put your trust in him, God's given you his Holy Spirit to live in you. You are his dwelling place. And because of that, Whatever challenges you face, you can face. Any opportunities you work at, you work with him. In those moments, if you're feeling inadequate or in need, all you have to say is, Lord, would you equip me, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Help me now, and he will. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would come. Lord Jesus, we ask that you come. We want to be zealous for you, to have passion and desire for you. We want to live for you. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might see where we are living for other things, that we might come to love you above all others, and that might transform the way we live, that we might begin to love others like you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.